You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. If these 12 men who are about to found the entire church of Jesus Christ and launch a worldwide witness to the King Jesus had failed to grasp what even the nature of God's kingdom was, if they still maintain such a false and a fleshly expectation about a kingdom, surely, surely Jesus at this point, at least here, if not before, would have corrected them on this most important topic that was on his heart as well. But he did not correct them. After the resurrection, the disciples asked Jesus if it was now time for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. Many theologians have criticized this question, saying that the disciples completely misunderstood the kingdom. In today's message from Pastor Tom, however, you will hear why this question was actually a relevant and valid question for them to ask Jesus. He argues that if it was not, Jesus would have made that very clear because he spent much of his time teaching about this coming kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 with today's edition of Discover Hope. God promised David concerning his physical descendants, your house, this is 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever, unending. David's throne was in Jerusalem. David's throne was not in heaven. David's throne was on earth. As you know, throughout Israel's history, the Davidic house lasted a long time. It got split also. But then it was temporarily taken away from David's descendants. Why? Because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience to the law of God and the covenant of Moses. But because of God's promise and because of the Davidic covenant, that kingdom had to return at some point in time. So the disciples, like all the Jews were taught, they knew the kingdom one day would be restored. They knew it. So to restore the kingdom to Israel can only mean they were asking Jesus when there would be a return to the Davidic line, the Davidic kingdom, as God clearly promised. It would be a restored kingdom. The prophets actually declared this restored kingdom would be even greater than anything that David and Solomon had seen. David's great Son would be greater even than David. Thus, the Lord said to my Lord in Psalm 110, David calls his own son, the Messiah, Lord. Something really special coming. Even David knew that in the Spirit. There is no doubt that the disciples are referring to the earthly nation of Israel as the kingdom of God. Every single time that word Israel is used, both in Acts and Luke, 32 times, it always refers to the nation of Israel, always. When you have that kind of consistency, the interpretation is actually very easy. And if you just add in the context, again, who are they? They're Jews, and they're with a Jewish king, and they're standing right outside the city of David, Jerusalem. There's no doubt at all what they're asking. No one really quibbles with the question the disciples ask. They just disagree about what Jesus' answer means. Would you look at it in verse 7? I think it's equally telling. He said to them... It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's always giving deference to the Father. Notice that. But please stop and think about how Jesus did not answer the disciples' question. He did not say, stop hoping for an earthly kingdom. It's not coming. He did not say, you still don't understand what the kingdom of God is. He did not say, 
you're misunderstanding the scripture still. Why didn't you pay closer attention to me when I was talking about the kingdom of God? Instead, in essence, he said, it is not for you to know when the kingdom will be restored to Israel or any other times or epics. The Father alone fixes those. If we break it down, Jesus' response indicates two important things for us to learn. First, his response tells us that the times and the epics, or some of you have seasons, are not something we are supposed to know. Times. Chronos, your chronology in that, right? Or epics or seasons, the term kairos. Kairos refers to the characteristics of these times and chronos to the times themselves. They're used in Luke 21, 24. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, Jesus said in that verse, until the time, same word, of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's going to be a times, a period of time, or times where the Gentiles are going to trample down Jerusalem. These epics, these world history times, is what he's talking about. When you put the two words together, they're just kind of being total and showing that in the passing of time, they're going to be the changing of, we might call them world seasons, where in the, in the course of world history, things change and seasons change. We know in our world, seasons change kind of slowly over the weeks. So all of a sudden, it, you wake up and it feels like fall. It's no longer summer, right? It's the same thing with world history. People begin to see things happening and changing. They're saying it's changing. They're not quite sure what it's going to change into. But then all of a sudden it's changed. And there's a new season. There's a new epic. There's a new era there. God knows what they are. God plans world history. It's on a timetable. God controls it. He has a celestial calendar. Wouldn't you like to peek at it? You're not allowed it said he has fixed them. The term is just tithemi, to put it and place it. It's a definitive term. He's done it. It's long ago done. He put it on the calendar. There's no way it's not going to happen. You say that sounds like predestination. Very good. You're awake. <laughs> he appointed them, put them in a place. And who did God consult or ask to be able to do that? answer is nobody. Jesus' words here, I think, are very similar to Daniel when he blessed God, when God revealed to him some truths in Daniel 2.20. It said, listen to this, Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. The times and the epics are about events on earth, not in heaven. God is the creator of all things. He's the manager of the universe. He's the manager of the planet. He operates on a fixed time schedule. He lets nobody peek at his calendar. Nobody gets the passcode. There's no sense trying to figure out when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's the king going to appear? Remember what Jesus told about the timing of his second coming in Mark 13, 32, but of the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. Angels are smart, by the way, but they don't know this. Not the Son, he said, but the Father alone. Wow. Now, there are some pompous men down here that think that they know more than the Son of God about the timing of world events. Jesus said, you know what? Jesus was humming up to say, I don't even know. But we're fortunate enough to have some people in our society that they do know the day and the hour, and they predict it. Only problem is the day comes and goes, and they look like fools. And we know they're pompous because they don't apologize. They redefine it. Well, I think I had the date right. I just had the event wrong. How about you just keep your mouth shut? 
and quit messing it up for the rest of us. Even in the world, there are people that, you know, global warming alarmists, such and such is going to happen by 2015. Well, it didn't. They say we've got bad hurricanes. Yeah, but we went through 12 years of some of the least number of hurricanes to landfall ever. It's like exactly the opposite of what they said. Maybe it'll change now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not predicting anything. The point is that God alone sets the times and the epics. True? And God has not told anyone. Nobody. It's like that secret you have locked up in your house. You're like, I'm telling nobody. There's a phrase in Ephesians 3. It's kind of neat when Paul was writing about this age of the church. He calls it a mystery because it wasn't really described in the Old Testament. And he said it was a mystery that was hidden. I like the way it's put. It was hidden in God. You know, you're going to hide something. You might hide it in a rock. You might hide it in a bank. You might dig a hole. You might do something like that. But this secret is hidden in God. Now, that's pretty good, right? Who's going to get in there? <laughs> it's hidden. The secret's hidden in God. I think it's covered. So if someone says, well, God told me. I'm sorry, that is so arrogant. Well, the Spirit of God whispered it to me. No, he didn't. Shun the date predictors. Date setting and kingdom prediction times was never to be the preoccupation of the church. Never. That doesn't mean we can't study eschatologists. Just don't get so whacked out about it. 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul rebuked very lazy Christians who were just waiting for the second coming of Jesus and not working. He said, if they won't work, don't let them eat. I mean, we've got to be practical. We're still down here, right? can't just go walking around with your head up in the sky. Jesus is coming. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to who? The Lord our God. I mean, what can be clear? Jesus said, it is not for you to know. Concerning the future, we're kind of at a disadvantage. We just have to trust God with it because we can't know it. Maybe that's where he wants us to be. James 4.14 says, we don't even know what our lives will be like tomorrow. So you've got your day tomorrow already planned out. You've probably already been thinking about it. You've been sitting there, right? This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. You don't even know. You don't even know. And neither do I. Now, the second thing to learn from Jesus' answer is that there is going to be a restored kingdom to Israel sometime in the future. And I know some people don't want to admit this, but the implications of Jesus' words are clear. Jesus clearly affirms that the disciples' expectation of a restored kingdom to Israel was the correct expectation. Please notice, in no way does Jesus correct the premise to their question that Israel is going to get her kingdom restored. Both the disciples and Jesus assume that in the question. They agree on that. The only thing Christ corrects is their desire to know the timing of the kingdom, which was really the main question. Jesus never denies the nature of the kingdom as visible or as future or as for Israel. Now, if the premise to their question was completely wrong, why didn't Jesus correct it? The most natural Conclusion is because Jesus agreed with the premise to the question. If you do a study of the questions that are asked of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and elsewhere, you see that he's attentive to people's questions. He doesn't 
really ignore their questions. If there's a premise to a question that's wrong, Jesus makes it clear. An example of that is in Luke 20, verse 33, a question that the Sadducees asked about which man would get an earthly wife if the wife had been married to five different men, they all died. Now we're in the resurrection, and they didn't believe in a resurrection, so they presented this conundrum to Jesus. She's been married to five during the lifetime. Now it's the resurrection. Who gets the wife, Jesus? They thought they had him in a corner, you know? And he said, the premise to your question is wrong. You misunderstand that in the resurrection there won't be marriage. He went after the basis of their question that was inaccurate. Jesus was not afraid of conflict and debate. The rich young ruler came and said... Good teacher, what thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, why are you calling me good? No one is good but God alone. you got a wrong premise to your question. The Gospel of Luke records many questions asked of Jesus. He typically did not sidestep these questions or false assumptions. So the most natural way to take this is that our Jesus believed that he was the king of a future, literal, restored kingdom of Israel. In fact... Precisely because Jesus responded by using these two terms, the times or the epics. Again, times and seasons refer to events that still are to transpire on earth. He was actually tacitly affirming that the kingdom for Israel was coming as one of those seasons and times. Really, the case for Christ agreeing that Israel would get the kingdom is even stronger when you take into consideration the context. What also is clear from Christ's response is that up until this time, Jesus had not in any way contradicted the universal hope of Israel for an earthly, restored kingdom of David. Otherwise, the disciples would know not to ask such a stupid question. In none of Jesus' teachings, either before his crucifixion or after his resurrection, during these 40 days, did Jesus teach these Jewish apostles that Israel would not get precisely the kingdom they were promised in the Old Testament? Furthermore, think about this. If these 12 men, well, it's 11 at this point, but there's going to be 12. If these 12 men who are about to found the entire church of Jesus Christ and launch a worldwide witness to the King Jesus, had failed to grasp what even the nature of God's kingdom was, if they still maintained such a false and a fleshly expectation about a kingdom, surely, surely, Jesus at this point, at least here, if not before, would have corrected them on this most important topic that was on his heart as well. But he did not correct them. John MacArthur points to this fact. If they were mistaken about such a crucial point in his kingdom teaching, Jesus' failure to correct them is mystifying and deceptive. After all, Jesus was preparing these disciples to teach all the people about what? The kingdom. They at least had to know what it was. If they were wrong about so basic a concept and they had completely missed the main point about the kingdom that Jesus had been teaching them and Jesus was just about to ascend into heaven and to talk to them no more, I think this would have been the spot to correct them. Yet there's even more reason to believe in a future kingdom. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he also agreed with the Old Testament prophets. He taught a coming earthly literal kingdom. Just a few samples. There's so many. In Matthew 19, 28, he said, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me, 
in the regeneration, he calls it there. That refers to the, the remaking or it's similar to the idea of the restoration of the kingdom and the land with it. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging. That doesn't say the heavenly angels. It says the twelve tribes of Israel. What could be clearer? Twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. Twelve apostles. Also Matthew 17, Jesus has just been transformed. He's coming down off of the mountain. And Peter and James and John, I think it was, that seen Jesus in all of his glory. So they had questions about the coming kingdom because they'd seen his power and all of that. And they said, why then do the scribes teach us that Elijah must come first before the kingdom? That's in Matthew 17, 10. And Jesus responded this way. He said, Elijah is coming and will, here it is, restore all things. Matthew 17, 11. To Jesus, the coming of Elijah was still future. You say, what about John the Baptist? John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but in John 1, 21, he testified, I am not Elijah. Furthermore, Christ talked about his second coming as back to earth, right to Jerusalem. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Where is that? On earth. How do we know? All the nations will be gathered before him. The scene is a future kingdom visible with power on earth after Christ's second coming. And really the rest of scripture bears this out. I don't have time. But even the last book of the Bible is still testifying we are to anticipate a future, powerful manifestation of the kingdom on earth. Revelation 5, 9 and 10 says, it's a song that's being sung to Christ in heavenly glory. It says, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will, future tense, they will reign upon the earth. Future, on the earth, reigning, what could be clear? Clearly, the disciples' expectation of an earthly, literal, powerful kingdom was reinforced by Jesus Christ himself. How could Jesus have taught them about the kingdom over a period of 40 days and they not even know what it meant? In fact, you know what? The disciples continued to anticipate a coming of the kingdom even after the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Some said, well, Jesus didn't correct them here because he had said the Holy Spirit is coming and when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll guide them in all the truth and he just didn't want to waste any more time trying to teach these blockheads what the kingdom of God was. So he just going to wait for the Spirit of God to come. Well, the Spirit of God came in Acts chapter 2. When you go to Acts chapter 3, Peter's talking and guess what he's saying to the Jews? Repent. Chapter 3 verse 19 of Acts. Repent and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. As a result, the next verse, it says, He may send Jesus the Messiah appointed for you. Jesus the King appointed for the Jews, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. What could be clear? He's talking to the Jews and said, If you would repent and return, Christ will come. 
as your king to you to restore everything post-Pentecost. See, the Bible does not tell us to make a choice between a spiritual kingdom and a literal kingdom. Any more than it tells us, make a choice. Would you like your soul saved or your body saved? Some of you would go for the body. Shame on you. Your body only gets saved, resurrected, after what? It's all simple. God demands the spiritual qualifications first. We don't have spiritual qualifications, so we say, Jesus, I'm bankrupt. Would you please be the qualifications for me? Because otherwise I'm doomed. Then we get down on our knees. We ask Jesus, please save me. And he saves us instantly. Now we're qualified before God because of Christ's goodness, not our own. You're not good enough for God. Christ is the only one good enough for God. He's got to clothe you with his righteousness. Now you're qualified. Now you're qualified for the resurrection of the righteous. Not because you are righteous, but because Christ was righteous for you. It's the same thing with the kingdom. Jews, you're going to get your king. You're going to get your kingdom. But here's what you have to do first. It's pretty simple. I've been walking around all over these villages. And John the Baptist said it. It's a word. It starts with the letter R. Repent. Turn. Change. If you do, then you'll get. If you don't, then you won't. That wasn't anything new. That's what the Old Testament prophets said as well. If you want God's blessing, you will have to repent. If you want the nation to be blessed, you have to walk in obedience to his commands. It's not an either or, it's a both and, but in an order. The spiritual first, then the physical second. It's the same thing that God says to people today. If you want to be saved, you want to go to heaven, you want to be part of his kingdom, you want to come back with Christ to earth when he establishes his king on earth, you are living an independent and stubborn life apart from God, and you have to stop that. God will not tolerate that. He's been patient with you. Don't act like you're going to get away with it. Don't act like you're not hearing what I'm saying. God knows you're hearing this right here today. You need to repent and turn from your sins and give it to Jesus Christ the King. Or you are part of the establishment that's going to be crushed in this world. You need to understand, it's good news. But it can also be bad news if you resist it. Believe in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose from the dead, literally bodily. He'll give you life. But you cannot be the ruler of your life. You have to give it up. You have to call him Lord if you want to be saved. So yes, we are to anticipate the full, visible, and powerful coming kingdom. Or even to pray for it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring the mediatorial kingdom down to earth. And not David, but David's greater son, Jesus Christ. And God will reign through Jesus whom he gave the title deed to all of the planet. So when you're frustrated with the direction of our country, I suggest that little prayer, thy kingdom come. And I suggest Jesus commanded. We get busy witnessing for the king of that kingdom now. And we'll get to that next time. Father, thank you for just scratching the surface concerning this theme of the kingdom. And we know, Lord, that You did emphasize the righteousness of that kingdom and the spiritual aspects of it. And there are some who want that carnal, fleshly kingdom apart from repentance. They want all of the riches apart from repentance. And so, ironically, you would give them it all if they just would get down on their knees and repent of their sin, turn away from their sin. Would you help us, Lord, to be excited about witnessing and about your kingdom and being in your kingdom and 
as Jesus even said in another place, to be drinking the fruit of the vine in your kingdom and sitting and reclining at tables with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. We who are coming from the West and others coming from the East or South or North to Israel in the kingdom. Indeed, we know your kingdom will be across the whole planet. And Lord, we're looking forward to the return of your king. And we just bless your name and and willingly in our hearts bow in obedience to Jesus as king. Amen. The kingdom of God can be a difficult and challenging concept for many believers to understand. In today's message from Pastor Tom, you heard about the question that the disciples asked Jesus about the restoration of the throne to Israel. You learned about how that was actually a very valid question. You heard that Jesus responded by saying that no one knows the timing except for the Father, and that in the meantime we are to be witnesses to those who do not yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443-200-HOPE. Be sure to tune in to Discover Hope next time to hear Pastor Tom teach more about our role as witnesses to the coming kingdom of heaven. It should be our greatest concern as believers, our marching orders. Jesus left us with clear instructions to witness about the kingdom to others and to invite them to join it. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.